Welcome to Smart Businesses Do This, where today we're going to be saying, fuck getting rich, but here's how to get wealthy. And I am joined by four exceptional individuals who all understand the value of that. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment, introducing yourselves, and with a little bit of a difference, because if I asked you, like, what is your business, that wouldn't be a good, uh, a good example of wealth. Maybe you could give an idea of where your wealth is, how you've built it, and maybe uh, as comfortable as you feel sharing numbers, um, if you would like that. You are listening to Smart Businesses Do This, the podcast show for freelancers, side hustlers, and upcoming small business owners who want to transform their current business or business idea into a company that is built to succeed, simple to run, and gives you the freedom to live your life on your own terms. I'm your host, Adam Lyons. Let's get started. Maybe we'll start with Jerome if you can take the talking stick. The talking stick. <laughs> the talking stick. Yeah, it's for the virtual people. They can hear you. Yeah, of course. So, hey, everybody. Jerome Myers. So, I measure my wealth in days off, right? I think a lot of people are trying to figure out bank account, net worth. But for me, it's how many days do I not have to work and do something to earn money? And how many days off do you get? It's funny. I grew it by 70% last year. And so it was like 150 days. That's not bad out of a year. <laughs> Hi, my name is TJ. Um, Todd Johnson, um, TJ Millionaire Mentor on um, on social. And, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I don't know where to start or, or whatever, but I, um, I sold a tech business a few years ago and um, I sold a general contracting business some years before that. Um, I have um, um, a supplement weight loss business um, that I do with my partner. Uh, we have a, a really big project that we're doing in Washington, D.C. on New York Avenue called Tribeca, uh, about a 100-unit building that we're doing there. It's a $68 million project, and then we're doing a $45 million project on 6th uh, Street in, um, in Washington, D.C., turning that into a hotel and have property over in the DR. So I do a lot of different things, right? And I think um, in terms of wealth versus being rich, you know, it's, it's sort of funny, right? Because I, you know, um, I never think about it, right? And to Adam say, hey, let's talk about it. I'm like, okay, we'll talk about it. You know, and what's the, and I think first, I think it's really important to kind of understand what that is. We're not supposed to, I'm supposed to just pass the, I mean, for now, yeah, you know, I'm just going to pass the mic. Yeah, and, and then, we'll, but we'll get we'll, to it. We'll, we'll come it. back. To we'll make that the first question, about, CJ. Yeah, you know, what it is, because we need to define what it is yeah. first. You know yeah. what I mean? We'll get that. I promise. Okay, I, I got you. I'm gonna, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. So, thank you for having me. I appreciate it coming down from Dallas. Uh, I don't know how we follow up, Mr. George. Here, that was impressive. Uh, so, my name is Joshua Galbraith. Uh, I am the billion dollar closer. Uh, two years ago, we did thirty six million dollars worth of deals. So, I. Had to change my nickname. Uh, real estate really is kind of how I found uh, the money and the uh, opportunities I did. And then with my partnerships and everything that we were able to do, it's just growing. So what do I do? How did I get that? Uh, I find passionate people who love what they do. And if they need money, I'd love to partner with you and get you that money. Love it. My name is Jeff Smith. I'm from Houston, Texas. Um, I do a variety of things. I'm former special operations. I'm currently a real estate investor. I am mostly just a dad and husband. So I'll talk more about the other things we have going. Which, which I, I love. I think Jerome said it best. 
true wealth is about freedom. You can't get free being rich, as crazy as it sounds, because you're spending the money you're getting, you're having to work and grinding to find it. People that have wealth, their money's working for them. If this concept is strange to you, you should read the book, The Richest Man in Babylon, and that's where I would start this journey. It's an incredible book. It's well worth reading, and it really talks about how to make your money work for you. But what we have here are four gentlemen that are all uh, exemplary examples of that. So uh, to, to TJ's point, let's go back down the line, starting with Jeff. Um, what does it mean to each of you um, to have wealth versus being rich? And, and, and what does that look like? Like, what is that wealth? Where does it come from? Mine's very simple. I always like, I am very, I don't like following rules. I don't like a lot of structure and I want my life to be lived on my terms and by design. And so my wife is very much on the same page. So very early on, we were like, how much do we need to live? Can we get to that point? And we worked to get to that point. And then we continued to just amplify those investments over time. So I sold a gym. I run a couple masterminds, things like that. But for me, the income isn't as important as important as the flexibility. Like my time is what's the most valuable thing. So I'm approached constantly with different ventures, but like the time component and the freedom component of it, because I'm an avid outdoorsman, we RV all the time, all with our four kids. And so we spend a lot of time on the road. And so constraints aren't a big thing that I enjoy. And so I evaluate everything based on where I have to be and how much time it takes. And then I talk to my wife about it and is the ROI there? Yes or no. And that's how we kind of make our decision in our family. Love it. Josh. So I think, you know, cost of living, when I kind of became successful, I realized my, my cost of living, my responsibility was very minimal. Um, my overhead, that's what I focused on was, was getting that stress off of my plate. Once I was able to capture that and make more than I needed, then I had the time freedom to go and pursue other, uh, other, partnerships, other endeavors. So I would say time is really the, the wealth part, right? Going back to the gentleman here, uh, having days off, uh, the fact that I can, you know, take five months off because I have a newborn, like that's true wealth. That's like, that's bigger than the money. Obviously we all need it to live, but uh, the moment you can eliminate the liabilities of your overhead and that money is making money, that's where you start getting that time. All right, TJ. Yeah, I love it. I agree with everything everybody's saying. It's about freedom, but also permanence, right? So with regard to, you know, being rich, right? Uh, you know, it sounds so pompous, right? It, it sounds weird. Who talks like that, right? But but being rich is about, you know, <laughs> you, know you pompous ass. <laughs> you know, it's about lifestyle, being able to buy things, being able to have, you know, uh, comfort, you know, those sorts of things, right? Uh, but um, being wealthy is about having um, freedom and permanence where you can do this thing with uh, and you don't have to, you're not worried that hey, the economy changed, so I might have to go do something different. You know, I'm going to have to cut back. And, you know, but it's, it's also funny because uh, no matter how much you grow, you're always in rooms with people that um, is killing it. And that's awesome. Right. So there's always for me anyway, uh, imposter syndrome, because, you know, I did Ferrari Challenge last year and I, I think, um, you know, it's probably two million dollars a year, you know, just to race cars. 
and you win this amazing thing at the end. You know, it's amazing. When you win, you get a trophy. <laughs> and that's it. You don't get anything else. Well, I, I love this. In case that's not clear, like this gentleman won the Ferrari challenge at the Austin Circuit of America's yeah. Racing. So round of applause, first of all. Yeah. The winner of that and, and spends $2 million a year to be able to get that trophy, which costs probably $10 million, right? It's crazy, but you know, you do this thing. And I remember like last year, uh, you know, uh, if you want to be humbled, you know, you go do something like that and you meet all these people that kind of go, well, I'm flying in from such and such on my private. I don't fly private. I, I just jump in, you know, I get a first class ticket and go, I'm very comfortable. Yeah. You know, I remember my friend, you know, he's like, um, he, he's not going to um, pay for these tires, right? Because they're too expensive. So he flies in his private jet with his own tires. <laughs> you know, has his friends bring him up and bro, that's really expensive, you know? So the, the point is, though, is that no matter how you progress, you know, there's always people that's like, kill that. And so when you say rich or wealthy, it's like, what the hell does it mean? For me, it just simply means for me, freedom, but also permanence. Can I have this lifestyle forever if I don't work anymore? And for me, that's what, you know, uh, what wealth is for me. And, uh, and yeah, so that's, that's, that's a good thing. I love thing. that. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. John. So this one's really interesting for me because I will say that wealth and rich is always relative. You, you can go into a new room and you can think that you're rich or wealthy and you will be humbled pretty quickly when people start talking about what they've done. And it's really easy for you to say, well, what I did or what I have isn't good enough anymore. And I'll be honest and say that's happened to me recently where I was like, I'm doing really well. And then I was like, I'm really poor, <laughs> like really poor. We were in Dubai at the F1 race and I'm standing there and I'm looking at the yachts and I'm looking at the cars and I'm talking to the people that I'm talking to. And I'm like, I got to do something different. I'm not living my life right. <laughs> and, but what I will come back to to kind of come back and be on topic is like the difference between rich and wealthy for me was when I realized that I didn't have to do things for money anymore. Right. And so then, because I think a lot of people are chasing freedom. I think it's the wrong F and we're talking about F's in the yeah. title. We're talking about freedom, but I think fulfillment is when you truly find the wealth okay. and it's living a full life, yeah. right? The numbers are great. You can count all the things, but there's a different feeling when you truly have fulfillment from the way that you spend your time. And I think a lot of people choose to do things because they pay well, not knowing that, that's not the end goal, right? I, the parable where the guy's on the beach and he's meets somebody who's on vacation and he's got a bar. He's a bartender. He's like, hey, why, what do you do? And the guy says, well, you know, I do this. I work 60 hours a week and blah, 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 blah. He's like, so what are you trying to work towards? He said, well, I want to retire in Tahiti and then be a bartender. And he says, so why don't you just quit and be a bartender? He said, well, because I got to work so that I can retire. So then I can go be a bartender. It's like, well, how can you collapse that time frame so that you can do the thing now? And when you do the thing now, I found that you get rewarded on a level that you can't be rewarded when you're doing it simply for the financial reward. 
I, I love this. And um, to, to echo everything these gentlemen have said and to, to maybe illustrate a point that hasn't been made yet, because I started with that shocking, you know, fuck being rich, here's four wealthy individuals. The reason these gentlemen are here on this panel is what you look in front of you is five people who know what it's like to be broke. Every single person up here has been broke. They know what it's like to have zero money. And this isn't, these aren't people that, that have come from tons of wealth and have just always been wealthy. These are gentlemen I've specifically curated. The reason we're friends is because we all bonded on the fact that we know what it's like to stress about how you're going to eat. And I think learning how to be wealthy from people that know what it's like to struggle to put food on the table is a different lesson because when you have done it and walked the steps and haven't been handed it and didn't get lucky, you know how to duplicate it and help others, which is really what this panel is about. I want to make sure that you all know where wealth comes from. I'm actually going to share a very brief story with a buddy of mine who's he's actually sitting in my office right now. And um, he had an amount of money that he'd saved up in the bank. And uh, we're very good friends and he trusts me. And I said, you should take that amount of money and you should invest it in a piece of property in this one area, uh, with the Bastrop, the area that we're in. I said, I know it's going to increase in value. I've gone all in. I've put my money in it. Not all in, but I put my money in it. I know this is good. And he deliberated for a few months. And during that time, he saw the property market start to move in exactly the way that I said. And he jumped on and he put his money down and he jumped on. And what I love was within one year, the equity that had built up in his house, the in increase in wealth in that house was almost double the amount of money that he'd saved over the last X amount of years of saving his money. And he had a moment where he's like, I made more money in a year just living in my house. If I sold my house, I would have that, that cash. Then I have everyone. And I saw it change. He said, oh, that's what being wealthy is. Or like, for example, I negotiated a deal last week for a $250 million company. And I took a percentage of that deal. And I have all my friends celebrating, oh my God, you made this many millions. I said, no, I have this many millions of equity ownership. And I was like, I'm not taking anyone out for dinner today. Right? Like, let's be real about this. Um, yes, I absolutely have taken an equivalent of a lot of money, but it's in wealth. I can leverage it. I can use it. I can do stuff with it, but it isn't cash. It isn't cash today. And a lot of a lot of real wealth comes in that form of that delayed gratification where it might not be cash, but it is wealth and you can build on it and compound it and use it and make it work for you. And it's almost better to use it that way than cash because of inflation. Um, and if any of you uh, don't understand how that works, I'll summarize it really simply. If you have $100,000 in the bank at the beginning of the year and inflation is at 10%, at the end of the year, you still have 100000 in cash, but you can only buy the equivalent of $90,000 worth of stuff that you could at the beginning of the year. The longer you hold the cash, the less it is worth because everything else becomes more expensive and the valuation of your cash doesn't increase. Therefore, you find that true wealthy individuals prefer to keep their money in something that is not cash so that it doesn't get impacted in that same way. I've been giving this talk many, many times to a lot of my friends, and once they hear this, they go, oh, I get it, because people that actually understand folks on wealth and not on being rich. So my challenge for each of you, I want you to imagine that you are a young entrepreneur and you are sitting out there and you're struggling to make five grand a month right now. And you hear this talk and you go, okay, I want to be inspired. I want to become wealthy, but I'm still struggling to pay my bills. And I, I don't even know if I can hire a staff member. 
what would each of you say to that person? What advice would you give? If you were going to give them like a three-step or a five-step or a 10-step plan, that this is what you got to do. Because I promise you that sitting listening to this, there are people in that situation. Mm-hmm. How would you help them? You said a three-step plan. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I got three steps. The first one is find the person who's living the life that you want to live. Ask them how much it costs to work with them, not to get a job, but for them to be embedded as a part of your life and then pay them whatever they say it costs. And it may be more than what you make. Yeah, I've been there. How much are they making? 5,000 a month. They're struggling to hit 5K a month. Struggling to. That's such good advice. I, I literally, I've done that like three times in my life and every time it paid off and every time it was the most painful decision I've ever made. Yeah. I have no idea what I'm going to say, but, uh, uh, you know, if I'm making $5,000 a month and I'm thinking about being wealthy, I think that's, uh, uh, a good, um, uh, carrot, right? But if I'm making five thousand dollars a month, I'm thinking about um, I'm, I'm focused on building a lifestyle that allows me to make more money, right? So, what does that mean, um, man? I, you know, I'm 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 not uh, politically correct about Please don't be a lot of correct stuff. About anything you know? just so I mean, <laughs> you know, so for me, I'm all in on making more money. I think there's a lot of things that say, oh yeah, you can save your way to wealth. I'm like, eh, I don't know how to do that because I didn't do it, right? That's not what I did. My focus was how can I leverage my skills, my talent, you know, the time I have in a day to make more money and increase it. So I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be building really, really strong relationships. I heard someone say something, I think it was Jay uh, a couple weeks ago. He says, I pay for my relationships. And I was like, Ooh, right. And that felt so cruddy, right? Because it's like, I'm paying for my relationships. Well, you know, what he was saying, right. Is I'm going to make, I'm going to pay. I'm going to, I'm going to give value to build relationships. That's going to help accelerate things because that's truly the shortcut to getting to places because you might have a particular skill. You might be really, really good at it, but if you don't have the right relationships, then it's hard to advance, right? It takes longer. It's not that you can't do it. It's just going to take more time, right? So I think I'm going to um, keep leveraging my skills and all of that to make more money. I'm not going to go out and get married and have a bunch of kids and do all that stuff unless I'm going to have a, and I would forget about balance. I, that's, I think that's what I would do. I would like make sure I'm building my skills, uh, leveraging that, having a lifestyle that allows me to make more money. I would build really, really key, strong relationships and I would forget about balance and everybody that talks to me about balance, I'd slap them in the face. <laughs> you, know? Yeah, you know, forget balance. You know, people talk about balance once they've gotten there and they've gotten comfortable, but they're telling young folks a lot of times that are trying to become wealthy, right? About balance or trying to become the best actors in the world about balance or trying to become the best, whatever. And they're talking about balance. There's no balance when you're trying to become excellent at stuff. So I would forget about that stuff. And that's not necessarily uh, politically correct to say right now, because, you know, everybody should be good at everything. You should be a good husband and a dad and a good, you know, all these things, you know, good pet and all this other stuff. Don't get a pet. You know, do what you need to do to make the money. So I love that. It's really good. Yeah. And I think that's so key. If you want to be in the top 10% of the wealthy people on the planet, which is 
really when we're talking about six figures. That's 10%, we're looking at like six figures. If you like the idea of having 100 grand or more every year, which isn't a lot, which is about 10% really, you've got to do what the other 90% are going to disagree with you on. So you have to recognize that nine out of every 10 people is going to say you're insane because they're not going to do it. Top 5% right now is like 140,000, which is like not... Oh, wow. There you go. So yeah, top, top 5%, 140,000, which is crazy. So to be in the top 5% or to work this different, to make at least $140,000 a year, 95% of the people you meet are going to tell you you're wrong. 95% of the people you meet are going to disagree with you. 95% are going to think that the only way to be successful is with a job. And a buddy of mine just said this the other day. Just remember that job stands for just over broke. It's just enough to be okay. I had a buddy of mine that I thought was rich 11 years ago and we got on the phone the other day and he goes, and I was talking about life and he goes, I'm kind of in the same spot like 11 years later. And I was like, what do you mean you're in the same spot? He goes, yeah. He goes, I mean, I get a pay rise every year. And I said to him, does your pay rise match the rate of inflation? And the best part is he worked in finance. And he goes, uh, I don't know, let me look. And I said, what do you mean you don't know, first of all? So he looked and he went, yeah. And I was like, therefore, you have not had a pay rise ever. Your, pay, your job has just matched inflation every year. And he was like, I can't believe I missed this. I work in finance. And he had like a, a breakdown over the phone. And that's why his life has never changed. He just assumed each pay rise would make him richer, but he could never buy more. He could never actually invest. His percentages were the same. Let's go for it. Joshua. So the, the, the balance comment was huge. So if you look across the board and, and you decide that you want average, that's what you're going to get. Right. So I often, and even my partners get on me, like I love business. Like I do it every day. The, the ability to do it is, is something that I enjoy beyond anything else I do, probably beyond being a, a brother, a son, a, a dad. Like I just love business. That's my gift. I get good, bad, or indifferent. Right. We're talking about politically correct. You look up here and you talk about people's passion, Dubai, we're over here racing Ferraris, right? He gets to hang out with his family and like that only comes after you make the sacrifices and do everything. So to answer the question of the $5,000, you know, first I would, I would challenge you, are you, are you doing that? You know, that niche that you're trying to focus on. I've thought about this question a lot because I, I, I'm not the best manager of people and I damn sure don't know how to teach people anything, right? Like I, I, what I do is so much of a hustle that I can't teach you how to do that if you don't have it in you. But the $5,000 challenge to get to the next level is if, if you're not already in that niche that you're trying to conquer or trying to do, you, you need to tie your time to that niche. Example being, you want to be in real estate? Well, you're not going to be a real estate investor. You're not taking down 192 houses tomorrow. But what you can do is go become a realtor. Right. And then you can you can learn real estate through being a realtor and being paid a little bit to cover your cost of living. So go and do that job, get paid to do that job to learn and scale from there. So if you're not even in that niche right now, you need to move on to that niche. So you get paid to do it and then scale from there. That's what I would I would tell somebody who's making five thousand or less. Go find that profession, get paid to learn, and then scale from there. But I, I love that, and I think people really underestimate how powerful it is to get a job in the industry that you want to learn from, because it's not about the money; it's about the job. Um, and to to put this in perspective, about seven years ago, give or take. Um, there was a guy working out of Edgewater, New Jersey, and he was the number one copywriter in the world. 
And it wasn't any name that anybody here would know because the copywriters that are known for copywriting didn't make as much money as this guy. He made so much money that you couldn't hire him. He only worked for himself. And uh, if you've ever seen an ad that says, stop jerking off, do this instead, that's the guy. It's basically every porn ad ever. He was the guy that wrote them. Um, if you don't know what I said, you don't watch porn. Um, and I only know because of him. I don't watch porn either. I just know because he told me. Uh, anyway. Um, and, so, um, and so anyway, so by, I, I got to meet this guy. I got to know him through friends. And so I said to him, you know, I would love to learn from you. How much does it cost? And he goes, uh, it's a quarter million dollars to have two hours with me. And I was like, Okay. <laughs> Alternatively, do you need an intern? And I just had my first million dollar year. And so I would fly for one week a month and go and work for him for a week for free. Yeah. And he had me turn up every day at nine o'clock. We finished every day at 6 p.m. He turned up when he felt like it. And I had to sit outside the door waiting for him to come and open the door. Wow. And there were days I sat until 2 p.m. on my laptop. Remember, I made a million dollars a year and I'm sitting on the floor of an office in New Jersey in Edgewater, typing on my laptop, writing up things for him without him giving me any feedback or not knowing what to do. I'm just prepping as much as I can so that when we hit that office, and he would tell me, go, oh, yeah, I forgot you were coming in today. And just go on in the office, let's get working. And then there was no lunch breaks. There was no, it was grind and work and write. And I made him like millions of dollars writing for him because if the work was bad, he would be like, that's terrible, write again. And I was just writing and writing and writing and writing. But what that did for my ability to make sales and copywriting and those like six months I worked for that guy were worth it. And to put that in perspective, how many of you could have a business that makes seven figures a year and humble yourself down to be an intern? to be able to do it. Likewise, when I wanted to learn merge and acquisitions, and you guys know my mentor, Roland Frazier in, in M&A, I said to Roland, how much, um, uh, how, how much uh, would you want my help to be your intern? And Roland said to me, I will not accept you as an intern. And I said, how much to be an employee? And he said, I will not accept you as an employee. He said, but you can pay me to help me. And I did that because it was worth it. Because it wasn't about the money. It was about the training because I couldn't afford a hundred grand a day to pay him. So it was like, okay, I'll pay whatever it takes to get it. But that knowledge that got from that was so powerful. So, you know, and, and, and the combination of everything these three gentlemen have already said so far is sacrifice now and do what 95% of people on the planet won't do. That 95% is going to include family, friends, advisors, loved ones. You will be told you are wrong and you're insane and you're crazy and that people are taking advantage of you and they should do this and treat you better. You will. And you'll only have to do it for a few years. And after that, that's when it's going to shift. So yeah, Jeff. I forgot my answer 15 times. Three things though. Three things. Sorry. No, what you talked about, I'm going to build off of it because it's mentorship or coaching is one, like hire to be in proximity, get in the ecosystem. But I, I love what you said about it, it, go get a job. If in that industry, if that's what you want to do, because like that's, paid training. Like I came up through fortune 50 company and, uh, 
did so much continuing education on their dime. I gained so many skills through that corporation and like invaluable skills, 10 times what a college degree could have provided. So that's a way to do it. If you're only make five grand, go get a job for, then you get a train all day. Um, <clears throat> narrow, stay narrow. We get shiny object syndrome. We chase money constantly. We're like, Oh, let's go do this hustle. This hustle, it'll put another 10 grand in the bank. If, if you want to do a certain thing, you have to be passionate about it. You don't have to, but it's a good idea to stay narrow in what you're doing. And we've never had a point in time where there's as much information available for free, like YouTube videos. You can learn how to do anything. You can flip houses for zero out of pocket. You can do whatever there there's training for everything that you don't have to pay for that can piggyback on your coach or mentoring that you're paying for. And then the third one was, um, consistency. The, the, the only differentiator between probably everybody up here and the other 95% of people or 99% of people is that people just are unwilling to keep a level of consistency for the period of time that it takes to get over the hump to where you can start rolling that principle and your money can start making money. So discipline and then consistency for two or three years is all it really takes. And it's shorter than most people give it credit for, but most people can't do anything for more than six months and, and stick to it because they don't think it's going to be fulfilling enough and they don't see the results. So, I mean, those three things, consistency, niche hard and get a coach or get a job in that industry. I love it. Some people are trying to start a business. Some, uh, you know, it occurred to me when you were talking, by the way, I wish I had your voice, man. Uh, hey, dude, this guy. Special operations. Yeah, 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 yeah. When, when he says sit down, I always sit. Yeah, yeah. Like I was talking yeah. to my dog, and I'm yeah. like, I'm still gonna sit. Yeah, but, but it occurred to me when you were talking that some people that are making at that five thousand, they want to start a business, but they don't really have a real vision. Right. They don't really have a real vision. And sometimes you're starting too early, you know, and you got to learn to fish before you you go out and, you know, start to get that harvest. So I think some people need to go learn and and learn under the hospital, you know, under somebody else's house for a while, because, you know, yeah, it's great to start a business. And I'm an advocate for doing that, you know, in terms of growth. But before you can start a business, you got to be to help people. And sometimes be to help people, you got to build the skills and you got to work for people to do that. And sometimes people aren't willing to delay it a little bit. I love that. I'm going to, um, so I'm going to give you guys a, a bit of a challenge in a second. So I'm going to say it, let you guys think about it while I share something. Um, I think one of the, the best things to do with very successful people is to ask them to solve a problem that they haven't had to solve for a long time. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you to imagine that you pay your bills, you make your ends meet, but you're renting a home and you want to get your foot on the property ladder. And I'd like to know how you would go about it with the only problem being you don't have a deposit. So I'll let you guys think about that for a second and work out how you do it. While I'm saying that, I want to share with you guys just a very brief thing that could be valuable to all of you. When social media first came out, everyone said, this is going to change the game. And everyone tried to do their own social media. And it wasn't long before there were social media managers and social media experts. We are at the dawning age of a new moment 
which is AI. Right now, AI is becoming a thing that people use and everyone is trying to work out how they're going to use it. And I have been in business for 18 years and I've seen this time and time again. And I promise you what will come next is in-house AI experts. There will be agencies. We have AI experts. We will implement AI for you. Let's put an AI tech in your company. Let's train up an internal AI tech. If you're sitting here right now and you don't have a business, if you're sitting here right now and you want to have a business or you're looking for something different or you're learning, wondering how can I implement AI in my company, you should really consider getting somebody, training them up to be an AI tech and you can start an AI tech agency or you can use them in your own company or get them out to other people. This will happen. I have not heard of this at all yet and I would be one of the first people that would hear it. I'm telling you this will come next. So feel free to be ahead of the curve. This is the benefit of being a professional sword fighter. I'm very good at spotting patterns and working out what comes next. And with every emerging technology. Everyone tries to do it themselves. And then successful people think, I just want to pay someone to do this for me. So AI tech will be the next big thing. Feel free to be the head of it. So while you guys are thinking about that, you got to buy a house for the first time. You, you, you know, you have a basic salary, you make ends meet, uh, you know, you work you're 60 grand a year or whatever, but you don't have a deposit. How are you going to buy your first house? Yeah. So what we teach in our, our course for people who are getting into multifamily real estate is everybody's solving four problems and it doesn't matter whether it's real estate or another business. It's knowledge, deal flow, experience, and capital. And it seems like everybody goes to capital first. It's like, I got to go buy it. And they think about it like a purchase, but I've, think it's the other way around. You need the knowledge first. And so you can spend the time self-educating. It's super inefficient, but it is effective. And you either pay with time or money. So first figure out the knowledge so that you know what a deal looks like. A lot of people get leads and they're like, oh, I found this thing on the market. I think it's a great deal. And you don't have a chance of making any money on it. So having the knowledge allows you to apply that against a lead so you can find out when you have a deal. When you have a deal, the people who have the money, the people who are experienced, they don't want to do that work. They just want somebody to bring the deal to them. And so when you bring them the deal, you say, hey, I'd like to be a partner with this on with you on this. And they will work out the piece of getting the capital so that you can do the deal. But if you don't have the knowledge, you're not bringing any value to the person who can solve the problem of the capital for you. And it's the same reason why people charge you money to help you, right? If I'm not working in my business and I'm working on your business, it's costing me money. You may feel like because you want to do the thing that what you're doing is value, but you're creating a job for me. And that's why people charge for you to be there. And so I, I want to clear that up because I think some people who haven't spent on it don't understand why they're being charged and it feels like it's unfair. But knowledge, deal flow, experience, capital for any business that you want to do is the way that I would run. Love it. The question is... So you make about 60 grand a year, uh, make ends meet, you, you know, you're okay. You want to buy a house, but you don't have a deposit. You got to buy your first house because you're trying to get that first investment. Yeah. So I would rather talk about the AI thing, how to leverage that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, I, I think there's so many uh, first-time homeowner programs. So I would be looking at those. I know for me, it was like I was a veteran, so I did the VA thing. You know, so I'd be looking at that. Um, uh, I, I, I think that would be the the way I would be going. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, Love it. that's about it. Yeah. So just look at options. For, yeah, I, I would be looking at either 
first-time homeowner programs, uh, either through sort of national programs that have those sorts of things, uh, FHA, VA, that thing, or I would look at geographically-based programs. Whereas I know, like, for instance, in, you know, like Washington, D.C., they were, like, literally giving away homes if you move into that property. You know, in Baltimore, very, very... Um, inexpensive homes in Detroit, as an example. Not that you guys want to live there, but there are people that would be willing to move to get that leg in the door, right, in these sort of programs. So those geographic sort of programs, I would be looking across the country, where can I move, where they want me to come in and they're incenting me to move into this property um, to just get ownership. Love it. So again, the, uh, your name again, sir, Jerome. Mr. Jerome. So he, he he brought up a good point: the consumer side, right? Like it's all about capital, instantly going after the money. There's so many creative ways to do things. So if if I was a first time home buyer looking for for a solution, I didn't make enough money. You kind of have to take a step back and realize that there's so many creative ways. The example I have when I get out of the military, I I only knew one way: go to the bank, ask for a loan. Well, you don't have a job anymore, right? You just quit your job. You're not getting a loan. But there's so many other solutions that you just have to be willing to go look for them. So I would say that that deal I would do, and I heard this the other day, 100 phone calls leads to three opportunities to one deal. So now I know I need two deals. The first deal I'm going to sell to my friend Maria, or I'm going to sell to my friend Jeff because I hooked him up. I found a good deal. I don't have the money. If I don't have the money, I know I have no business trying to close anything, but but I got to find somebody who's willing to buy the deal. Wow, that works. So I'm going to make another 100 phone calls, get three interested parties. And again, it's the consistency that Jeff spoke to getting on, you know, getting, making the effort, right? And the unbalanced part that we talked about, that's 200 phone calls. It gets me one deal. I sell it to Maria. Now I made my money. Now I have the money to do, make another 100 phone calls, three prospects, one closed deal. I have my house. Do, do you guys see, like... I- I've asked this question to so many people, I've never had the answer, so I'm going to reiterate this to make sure everyone understands how clever that is. When you want to buy your first home, learn how to get a good deal, put the effort in to get a good deal and give it to somebody who will give you a percentage of the deal as a thank you and use that as the deposit and then go and get another deal for you, which builds off of exactly what, uh, what these guys are saying about getting the knowledge first. Because this is pure genius for anyone on how to buy a first home. Like this is 100% the way to do it. That's brilliant. Joshua. No, <laughs> this is such an interesting question because it makes my head go in 50 directions. There's like 15 ways to do this depending mm-hmm. on who, it, maybe not even 15, maybe 25. Um, the easiest and simplest way to do it for anyone getting their first one is FHA will loan you with 3% down. So the way to do it is you go into the property, you... This, this is retail. So anyone can do this. This isn't like you don't have to beat up the phones. You don't have to do any of the shit. You can go to the MLS. The price is a hundred grand. Let's say, let's, let's say it's 200 grand and you got to bring 6,000 to the table, right? You contract that deal for 200,000, go under your option period, inspect the home, find $6,000 worth of upgrades, repairs, necessary de- delayed 
repairs, right? Deferred maintenance, Deferred maintenance excuse me. Um, then you go back when the option period's up and you say, hey, listen, I need $6,500 or $9,000 of seller concessions. You're now 14 days away from closing. They're going to close that deal. They're not going to walk away. They're going to bring you $14,000 or $12,000 at closing. $6,000 is going to be your down payment. $6,000 is going to go to you in cash. So you're going to leave with a $6,000 check and keys to your new house. Yeah, that's also brilliant. So, <laughs> so one of the things that I, I love about these gentlemen is, and this is what I wanted to demonstrate, taking somebody who has solved the problem countless times before and bringing them something that is so, uh, something they don't have to deal with anymore suddenly gets solved really easily because each of these gentlemen just really, really knows it. So um, I love to, to finish every single episode by asking, what do smart businesses do? Um, in this situation, it's a little bit more than that. It's, it's more like smart people, but I don't want to specifically single out people. But in your, in your mind, what do smart businesses do with regards to wealth creation? Smart businesses are crystal clear on where they're going and what their vision is for the long term so that they can make the short term and intermediate decisions. Love Easy. It. Love it. Smart businesses find opportunities and partnerships and make sure that they bring the value and whatever they're missing, they partnership in, inside of that. Smart businesses uh, fail fast. So they execute really, really fast. They're not afraid to fail, but they move quickly. Execution uh, or speed of execution is a superpower. Love it. Smart people are vulnerable enough to let people know exactly where they are and humble enough to take counsel from somebody who has what they want. Beautiful. I love that. Guys, um, as always, this episode was sponsored by workingvacation.com, where we will sit down with you, go through your business, help you reach the next tiers, help you with time management, all while making sure that you don't sacrifice time with your loved ones and you can even bring your family along. Thanks ever so much for tuning in to Smart Businesses Do This. Round of applause to these wonderful gentlemen. Now, if you're new to the podcast and you want to learn more about how to build a smart business, then the absolute best place to start is with my Smart Blueprint ebook. Over 10,000 people have already gone through the book, and it's one of the most comprehensive resources on strategically building and growing your business that you can find anywhere for free. Just visit thesmartblueprint.com forward slash ebook to grab a free copy. And I'll see you on the next episode of Smart Businesses Do This.